0: Get ahead of the postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and five-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. What up, everyone, and welcome back to the program. We're going to pick up where we left off, with Koberger's response to the AP. The argument. The Sixth Amendment to the U.S. Constitution guarantees that in all criminal prosecutions, the accused shall enjoy the right to a speedy and public trial by an impartial jury. U.S. Constitution Amendment Number 6. This is not only a duty of the court and counsel for the accused, but also for the prosecutor as a public officer. State v. Spencer, 74, Idaho, 173, 183, 1953. For uninhibited prejudicial pretrial publicity may destroy the fairness of a criminal trial. Nebraska Press Association v. Stewart, 427, U.S. 539, 587, 1976, Brennan J. Concurring. In contrast, the First Amendment generally grants the press No right to information about a trial superior to that of the general public. Nixon v. Warner Communications, Inc., 435, U.S. 589-609-1978. The potential for injury to the integrity of the judicial process is significant in cases involving trial publicity. As the Supreme Court has noted, the theory of our system is that the conclusions to be reached in a case will be induced only by evidence and argument in open court, and not by any outside influence, whether of private talk or public print. Levine 764 F.2D at 597, quoting Patterson v. Colorado, Attorney General 205 U.S. 454-462-1907. The amended non-dissemination order does not suppress or restrain the speech of the press but simply limits the extra judicial statements of attorneys, officers, and court personnel in the underlying criminal case to those requirements set forth in Idaho Rules of Professional Conduct 3.6 and 3.8. The court should adopt the reasoning in Radio and Television News Association of Southern California versus U.S. District Court for Central District of California and the application of Dow Jones and Company Incorporated in holding that such incidental effect on the petitioner's ability to interview these personnel does not rise to the level of a First Amendment infringement. 781 F.2D 1443 842 F.2D 603 Even if this court expands the power of the press to challenge the trial court orders, which only incidentally affect their ability to interview the attorneys in a criminal case, The amended non-dissemination order meets the dictates of strict scrutiny because the order addresses the serious and imminent threat that unrestricted extrajudicial statements pose in a case surrounded by intense publicity, is narrowly drawn to trial participants, and is the least restrictive alternative. Levine, 764, F.2D, at 590. Finally, this court should not expand the First Amendment rights of the press to challenge orders which do not impair their ability to speak or publish under Article One, Section 9 of the Idaho Constitution or other existing rights under the First Amendment to the United States Constitution. A. The petitioners have not demonstrated an infringement of their First Amendment rights as the amended non-dissemination order only affects the ability of specific parties in the underlying criminal case— to answer the petitioner's questions. In a case surrounded by intense publicity and media attention, it is the duty of the court to take such steps by rule and regulation that will protect their process from prejudicial outside interferences. Shepard v. Maxwell, 384 U.S., 333-363, 1966. Where the impact of extrajudicial statements upon a case is so high The court should make some effort to control the release of leads, information, and gossip to the press by police officers, witnesses, and the counsel for both sides. Idea 359. Where a court enters an order to limit the extrajudicial statements of attorneys and law enforcement in a case, the impact on the media is only incidental, in that the media may still ask questions, gather information from court proceedings, and report such information but the attorney or officer may decline to answer questions. Radio and Television News Association 781 F.2D at 1447. In this case, the court should adopt the reasoning of the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals in Radio and Television News Association and application of Dow Jones and Company because the amended non-dissemination order only limits the speech of specific parties who would otherwise be subject to the Idaho Rules of Professional Conduct, and the petitioner's ability to speak and observe the criminal justice process are not infringed. Further, the amended non-dissemination order merely adopts the dictates of the Idaho Rules of Professional Conduct and is a proper exercise of the lower court's power. 1. This court should follow the Ninth and 2nd Circuit Court of Appeals, reasoning and apply that test to this matter because the amended non-dissemination order does not infringe on petitioner's speech ability to gather information or constitute a denial of access to the court proceedings. The reasoning and tests outlined by the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals in Radio and Television News Association and the Second Circuit Court of Appeals in the application of Dow Jones and Company Properly limit the scope of the court's review, in this case, to those matters which are only challenged by the media petitioners, whether they have a First Amendment right to interview specific parties. In the case of radio and television, News Association, the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, was asked to decide whether an amended restraining order in a criminal case, which barred the attorneys in that case from speaking with the media on matters relating to several subjects, constituted an unconstitutional prior restraint on the First Amendment rights of the press, 781 F.2D, at 1444. After examining the U.S. Supreme Court precedent regarding the rights of the press to interview, the court noted that the media never has a guarantee of a right to interview counsel in a criminal trial. Trial counsel are, of course, free to refuse interviews whether or not restrained by the court. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. If such an individual refuses an interview, the media has no recourse to relief based upon the First Amendment. Ultimately, the court held that the media's collateral interest in interviewing trial participants is outside the scope of protection offered by the First Amendment. The media's desire to obtain access to certain sources of information that otherwise might be available is not a sufficient interest to establish an infringement of freedom of the press in this case. ID at 1447. To assess the incidental effect of the order, the court adopted the test to assess whether the restrictions imposed are reasonable and whether the interests of the government override the very limited incidental effects of the order on the First Amendment rights the restrictions imposed also must not serve an illegitimate purpose. Restricting extrajudicial statements by the parties was then found to be a reasonable and legitimate interest for safeguarding the right to a fair trial and the integrity of the judicial process. In the case of Dow Jones and Company, the Second Circuit Court of Appeals was confronted with the similar question of whether a gag order on the speech of attorneys and parties in an underlying criminal case constituted a first amendment infringement on the press and their ability to interview and gather information a42 f.2d at 605 in adopting the rationales in radio and television news association the court held that the order did not constitute a prior restraint on the speech of the press subject to strict scrutiny and that the failure to restrain the trial participants would add fuel to an already voracious fire of publicity and create a real and substantial likelihood that some, if not all, the defendants might be deprived of a fair trial. At 611, the court recognized the critical distinction between a challenge by the press to an order that restrains them versus an order that restrains trial participants that is challenged by the press. Id. at 608. Conversely, the decision by the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals in CBS Incorporated versus Young is distinguishable from the case at hand, 522 F.2D 234, Sixth Circuit, 1975. In that case, the Sixth Circuit granted intervention for all parties in a civil case which were subject to the order. I.D. at 236, the order limited not only the speech of the parties in the case, but also their relatives, close friends, and associates. I.D., as stated in Dow Jones and Company Incorporated. In Young, the court held that the conclusion is inevitable that the restraining order constitutes a prior, direct restraint upon freedom of expression, Idea 239. Adopting this view ignores the fact that the defendants here requested the order and urge its affirmance. Thus, we conclude that there is a fundamental difference between a gag order challenged by the individual gagged and one challenged by a third party an order objected to by the former is properly characterized as prior restraint. One opposed solely by the latter is not. 842 F.2D at 609. Additionally, in the case of Michigan v. Sledge, cited by the petitioners, the lower court entered a gag order sua sponte and there was no indication that the prosecutor or defense counsel wanted such an order in place. 879 N.W.2D, 884-896, Michigan Court of Appeals, 2015. In this case, the court should adopt the reasoning and tests set out in the Radio and Television News Association and Dow Jones & Company, Incorporated. the prosecutor and defense stipulated to the entry of the non-dissemination order in the underlying case, Olson Declaration Exhibit A, on inquiry about whether the order applied to the attorneys for the victim's families. The court held a conference between all parties involved and found that the order was one, memorialization of Idaho Rule of Professional Conduct 3.6, two, in response to what the court had been seeing and hearing from various media sources, and three, that the comments are harming the ability to impanel a jury. Ferguson Declaration Example A at pages one through three. Similar to Radio and Television News Association and Dow Jones & Company, Incorporated, the parties in this proceeding, before the court, want the amended non-dissemination order to remain in place. The only person affected by the order who does not wish it to remain intact, Attorney Shannon Gray, is not party to this writ proceeding. Therefore, this court should adopt the holdings by the 9th and 2nd Circuit Court of Appeals, in denying the requested writs because the amended non-dissemination order only incidentally affects the petitioner's ability to interview the primary trial participants in the underlying case. All right, folks, we're going to wrap up part three right here, and in the next episode, we'll pick up where we left off. All of the information that goes with this episode can be found in the description box